0: Good morning, Chapel Hill. It is good to see you. For those of you who are visiting, and I hear we've had a lot of visitors this summer, that's wonderful. We welcome you. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm one of the guys that works here. I've been gone for a few weeks. Uh, Six weeks ago, I was leading a group of about 35 people on a Reformation tour through Germany and Switzerland, and a funny thing happened on the way through the Alps. Um, Let me put it as delicately as I know how. I discovered uh, that I could take fluids in, but I could not get them back out. My system shut down about two days. Um, My belly began to swell. I looked like Jabba the Hutt. And so finally we uh, rolled into the Zurich University Hospital emergency room in the bus... And uh, and they took me in there, and I'm very grateful for those Swiss doctors. Uh, they uh, gave me some good temporary relief, and then I came home. And a couple weeks ago, I had some surgery. And it's not quite the way I planned on spending my summer, but I'm very grateful to say that the surgery was uh, successful and remarkably pain-free. When I left the doctor, I had a total of two Tylenol. Two Tylenol. That's, that's astounding. Yeah, so... I'm, uh, I'm healing up, and I'm, I'm feeling well, and I thank you so much for your concern. I felt it thousands of miles away. I felt your concern and your prayers, and I received your notes, so many nice notes, one or two that weren't so nice. Here's one of them. <laughs> Dear Mark, we've been praying for complete health and healing for you. We're so glad the lobotomy went well. They're no longer members of the church. It is, as always, the case when I'm gone, but particularly under circumstances like these past few weeks, I just want to say thank you to my colleagues, to our wonderful pastoral team. Our pastors, our staff, our elders, our deacons, Um, one of the things I really appreciate, I mean, I listened to the sermons while I was gone. I got reports back. And one of the things that I am aware of is that this church never misses a beat, whether I'm here or not, it never misses a beat. And that's the way it should be. Uh, this is not built around me. It is built around the work of the Lord and this happening through this great team that God has surrounded me with. So I am very grateful for my friends and my colleagues and for all of you. So thanks. It's great to be home to my sweetheart church. And uh, let's, 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 go, let's get going, all right? One of the things that I uh, learned... Uh, actually in a personal way about hospitals is it's not they're not a good place to rest anyone been there and can relate to that They're yeah they're not a good place to rest there there I am fat belly and all um, the night uh, after my surgery I counted the times that the nurse came in to see me 10 times 10 times they would come in they would give me a pill or they would check my vitals or they would hang a new IV bag and of course on the way out they always say try to get some rest I say stay out of my room and I will get some rest Usually when they came in, they gave me the same ritual. They will say, what is your name? And what is your date of birth, right? What is your name? What is your date of birth? Blah, blah, blah. And so every time, then comes one new nurse, and she says, what is your name? What is your date of birth? She's holding an IV bag. I was kind of bored by by halfway through the evening, and so I decided to mix it up a little bit. So she comes in, has the IV bag. She says, what is your name? I said, it's George Freeman. She looks at my wristband, and then she looks at the... And she's starting to walk out of the room. I said, no, no, I told her what my name really was. But I had such fun with it, and I'm sure she did too. (laughs) That every time a new nurse came in over the evening, it was the same thing. What is your name? George Freeman. I have no idea where I came up with that name, but it sure made the rest of my hospital stay uh, a lot more fun. Of course, there is a good reason for, for the protocol, isn't there? They want to make sure that they're treating the person they think they are treating. They want to know for certain that I am who I really am. This morning we're beginning a summer sermon series on my favorite psalm. I think it is the pinnacle of biblical poetry. Uh, And and I would urge you to spend this month uh, stewing in the juices of Psalm 139 every morning. Just read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Memorize some of it. It is, it is my favorite text, and the central theme of this majestic passage of Scripture is simply this, God knows us. God knows you. We're going to break this down into little bite-sized chunks, so this morning I want to start with Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. You may just listen if you wish. I would urge you to get your Bibles open because I'm going to be making our way through and I want you to just track with me but for now if you would just like to listen. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6. Exalt in this. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high. I cannot attain it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for this glimpse of your character, of your passion, your, your interest in us, Lord. And we pray that we will leave here more aware of your awareness of us. And we will be comforted by that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you've traveled much internationally, you know that The first thing when you get off the airplane in a new country is you go through passport control, right? How many have had to stand in passport control? Long queues back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until finally you're standing there and you kind of quiveringly hand them your documents... And they slide them through some slot, and then they do this, and then they look very intently into a screen. And you would desperately love to be able to see what it is they're saying about you uh, in that screen. So it's all all kind of exciting. Sometimes, if you are really lucky, like my wife was in in, uh, my wife Cindy was in London coming back, they invite you into a private room for an extra (laughs) special examination. That was fun, and if you know Cindy, you can understand, she is a very suspicious person, very shady, so you can see why she would have been pulled out of the line of 400 people on that airplane and, and examined in such a way. The whole point of passport control, of course, comes down to answering one thing. We need to know who you really are. And the heartbeat of Psalm 139 is this amazing truth. We have a God who knows who we really are. Not just a little bit, he knows everything about us. And as David discovers, and as we will discover as we journey through his writings and reflections on this, when we comprehend that kind of knowledge of God, it is both comforting and it provides a bit of consternation at the same time, doesn't it? Both comforting and a little bit terrifying. The psalm starts out, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Say that with me. O Lord, you have searched me. Don't look at the screen. Close your eyes. You can do it again. One more time. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. The word know there, or known, is based on the Hebrew word that actually uh, it's, a, it's a very rich word that, that is the same word that is used in the Old Testament to, to describe sexual relations. So in, in Genesis 4, for instance, when we read that Adam knew his wife, that's this word. It is a, it's a rich and deep Hebrew word that speaks of an intimate awareness of, an, an intimate understanding of. And that word is used six times in this psalm to describe God's intimate understanding and awareness of, uh, of us. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. And I want you to notice that the first verse is past tense. You have searched me and known me. He'll speak in the present tense in just a moment, but but this interest of God in ours is not just recent, a recent development. What he's saying is that all along God has been interested in us, all along he has known us. Later in the psalm, in I think the highest, high watermark for a, pro, for a pro-life proclamation in scripture, we discover that while we were still in our mother's womb, before we had even breathed our first breath, God already knew who we were. God already had his eyes on us. Oh Lord, you who have searched me, you have known me. He goes on, you are acquainted with all my ways when I'm sitting quietly or when I jump up to protest, when I'm walking vigorously down the path of life or when I'm lying quietly on a bed somewhere. In all of those situations, you know me. I... I was laying on quite a few different hospital beds over the last few weeks. And this passage, which I have committed to my heart, was actually a source of incredible comfort to realize that you know me. In all my lying down, you know me. I just spoke to a friend who has probably some hospital beds in his future. And it is a great comfort to be able to say, in all my lying down, you know me. David continues, you have searched me, you have known me when I sit quietly, when I walk vigorously, in every way you know me. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Imagine that, before I speak a word, whether it's a word of blessing and encouragement and love and affirmation, or a word of cursing or gossip or criticism, whatever it is, before it even comes out of my mouth, the Lord already knows what that word is going to be. David goes on, I am surrounded by your knowledge of me. You hem me in. You fence me in. Your knowledge surrounds me behind and before. And listen to this. And you have laid your hand upon me. You touch me. And the reality of this, this unfathomable, inescapable, undeceivable knowledge that God has for us. Frankly, it just blows David's mind. And you hear that in the last verses. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it, I can't grasp it. His first thought is how wonderful is this that God knows me in this way? The God of creation, the God of the universe. He knows me, this little old me, this little insignificant speck on a little insignificant speck in the universe, but is not insignificant to God. I am known by Yahweh. How wonderful is that? I would bet we would not be surprised to see if I asked the question, have you ever felt insignificant? I bet there would be a lot of hands that would go up in this place. Have you ever gone through a time where you felt unimportant, like you were a nobody? Like if you didn't show up for life, who would even notice? Like if you checked out from this life, who would even care? Well, there's one who would care. The God of the universe knows you. You matter to Yahweh. Think about that. And when David thinks about it, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot... Grasp it, it blows my mind. That's the first thing that he thinks. The second thought is right on the heels of it. He says it's wonderful, and then he essentially says, and it's a little terrifying. That God knows me in this way is a little terrifying to realize that there's nothing hidden, no act that I've done that is in secret, no word that I've spoken that is not revealed, nothing about us that God does not know. It's kind of terrifying. In fact, next week, verse 7, right after he says, this knowledge is so wonderful, it's so high, it blows my mind, the very next thing he writes about is how to run away from God. The very next words he writes is, where f- will I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he gives a variety of op- options. He wants; He's considering running away from this God. How can I escape the, the, the blazing scrutiny of God. I was reading recently of the vetting process that political and judicial appointees are subjected to. And they sit down and it's hours and it's just in, in, grueling. And they ask every conceivable question trying to figure out if there's anything that's going to trip you up in the confirmation process. And then at the end of all of those questions, they ask one more question that goes like this. Is there anything in your past that we haven't asked about that if discovered might be an embarrassment. What would the our answer to that be? Of course there is, right? Of course there is. There's plenty about my hidden past that would be embarrassing and shameful. I have often said over my years here that there that if you knew some of the things that are hidden in the closet of my past, you might not want me to be your pastor. But then if I knew some of the things that are hidden in the closet of your past, I might not want you to be a member of Chapel Hill either. (laughs) Quid pro quo, baby. (laughs) Who can possibly bear up under this kind of scrutiny? Especially today when one stupid posting on social media can be dredged up for all of eternity. Who would want to run for public office under that kind of scrutiny? And yet we are even better known by our God. And to know that, it's kind of horrifying. To realize that God knows our deepest thoughts that we think are hidden from everyone else, He knows it. So we are horrified by it, and yet we also long for it. There's a part of us that longs to come clean with God so that we can be made clean by God. When I was in the second grade, I stole a candy bar from the Safeway store in downtown Yakima. I uh, rem- It was a Hershey bar. I still remember it. I was so torn with guilt about this that I only ate about half of the bar. I shoved the remnants under my mattress. <laughs> kind of like a lion that hangs his kill up in the tree to come back to it later on, I suppose. Except I wasn't wanting to come back to it. I was trying to hide from it. And then that night of my crime, I did something I've never done before. I got a book of matches as I sat in bed, lit the matches, blew them out, and, and then shoved the burnt matches underneath my mattress. And, of course, my parents smelled the smoke, and they came rushing in, and, what are you doing? And they tore the bed apart to make sure there was nothing left burning. And in the course of tearing apart the bed, what did they find? My half-eaten Hershey bar. It doesn't take much of a background in psychology to realize that in my guilt, I longed to be found out, right? And of course, I was in big trouble. They marched me down to Safeway the next day with my confession and a quarter to pay for my Hershey bar, a quarter, those were the days, right? $20 now. I was afraid for my crime to be discovered, and yet when it was, I was relieved, That's the way that it runs with the Lord. There are two responses that we can have to God's intimate knowledge of us. One is that we we run from it. And the other is that we rest in it. I mean, our inclination might be, first of all, to run, but it's such a futile endeavor, isn't it? Because where can we hide from God, as we will discover next week? Where can we run? Where can we hide from Him? But if we can learn to rest in this knowledge that strips away all of our pretense, strips away all of our religious phony baloney, the relief of being known in that way, of fully known and still being accepted is such a grace. My wife Cindy knows me better than any person in this world does. She knows the things that are good about me and she knows the things that are not so good and embarrassing about me my worst instincts, my ugliest responses, the shameful things of my past. And still, she seeks me. Still, she reaches out for me. She still lays her hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And we have a God who seeks and touches us in that same way. Interestingly, the psalm doesn't quite answer the so what question. You wish it would, and you look in vain for the words that would kind of finish the story. So God knows all of this about me. He knows me in this kind of intimate way. You, what, so what? What does he do with that? How does he feel about that? What does he do with this knowledge? The, the psalm hints at it. We are told that God lays his hand upon me and we infer that it means that it's a hand of comfort and tenderness and not a hand of punishment. We are told that he fences us in behind and before. We infer that it is an act of protection and, and not constriction. The psalm hints that the God who knows everything about me loves me. Anyhow, that's the inference, but it never quite says that. It never quite says it. You won't find the word love in there. Which is why we need to read the rest of the book. Because this says that. This table to which we have come this day, this says that. Here in the Lord's Supper we see evidence of what an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God does with that knowledge. This is the evidence that God loves those those whom he knows so well, that he seeks those whom he knows so well that he saves those whom he knows so well. And it is Jesus who came and did the seeking and the saving. He knew who we were before he showed up. He knew what we were before he showed up. And on that first night of communion, it's not like he came with eyes wide open. He knew that Peter was blowing smoke when he said that he would never deny him no matter what. He knew that Judas was about to sell him out for the price of a slave. And he knew the mixed hearts of every single man around that table. He knew it all. And knowing that, he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Because I love you. It is here that we discover what is only hinted at in this wonderful epic psalm, 139. The God who knows everything about us, both the good and the rancid, Loves us deeply anyhow. One last thing. Psalm 139 starts with this magnificent declaration. A declaration. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Interestingly, at the end, it ends with an invitation. It goes like this. Oh God, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Same words. A declaration. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me, and it ends with his invitation. Search me, oh God. And know my heart. Go ahead, he says. You already know everything. There's no point in running away, so I'm going to run towards you. I'm an open book. Search me and know me. It's a wonderful prayer for us to offer to the Lord as we come to his table. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. We have a God who searches you, who knows you, who loves you and forgives you.